I want to know how all herbal medicine works. Like I want to see it in real bodies in real time. And so in order to do that, you have to see people. So one of my goals is as someone who's deeply embedded in herbal medicine for a very long time now, where does herbal medicine really shine? Where is it better to work with other practitioners? Where is herbal medicine maybe not as prolific of medicine? And so part of it is treating people and helping people when the herbal medicines work. Another part of it for me is learning how to use herbal medicines better. And then of course, training and working with other people uh, so that we can bring herbal medicine into the current era. Welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio, a podcast sharing stories and wisdom from experts in the fields of holistic wellness and sustainable living. I am your host, Todd Howard, as the show's guests demonstrate. By doing small acts to embrace more mindful living, we can positively impact our communities. Seven Song is a renowned herbalist who has been studying and practicing herbal medicine for nearly 40 years. Having studied under legends such as Rosemary Gladstar and Michael Moore, he opened the Northeast School of Herbal Medicine in Ithaca, New York, and is the Director of Holistic Medicine at the Ithaca Free Clinic. Seven Song shares much of his wisdom in this episode. We talk about herbal first aid and many of his favorite herbs for conditions such as fever, pain, and anxiety. We explore the genesis of the Northeast School of Herbal Medicine and the physical herbal medicine that he focuses on in his teaching. And we talk about his many years of experience and enjoyment in providing herbal care for patients at the Ithaca Free Clinic. The science of herbal medicine is something Seven Song is quite passionate about, and he explains his approach to herbal practice versus an energetic approach. He also talks about the great importance of counseling skills to the practitioner and shares his passion of photography of plants. This is a candid interview with a great herbalist who is dedicated to the ongoing study and research of herbal medicine and to the dissemination of herbal knowledge. Please enjoy this episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with Seven Song. Seven Song, welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio. Thank you very much, Todd. It's great to have you here. I have a number of guests who recommended that I connect with you. I know your name has come up a number of times, so I'm really honored to have you here on the show, and I appreciate you being here. Thank you. Tell me a bit about your, I guess, your journeys with herbal medicine. Let's start with, you want to start with the education institution that you've created and then go from there? <laughs> education institution. Oof. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I have been the director and basically I started a school in 1994 uh, called the Northeast School of Botanical Medicine. It's been where I live in Ithaca, New York, about five hours north of uh, New York City uh, for the past, well, since 1994. So, uh, you know, and being a teacher, of course, means learning a lot, you know, in order to stay up with changes in herbal medicine, regular medicine, or conventional medicine. Uh, so that's been a big part of my life. Um, I'm just starting to think about slowing it down that I'm in my mid sixties, um, but I, I liked it, uh, you know, and it's been harder. Some of the classes have sometimes moved on to online, uh, but I like, I like teaching in person. I like making connections with students. Um, so the school is, so it's basically me. And so it's going to be, I guess, my personal philosophy and my value, you know, how I value herbal medicine, what I see important in plants. So I'm a botanist 
And so part of the school has always been very intensely learning how to uh, identify plants on a very technical level, how to key out plants to be specific. So for instance, once you know how to key out plants, if I go to Costa Rica, um, I can start to identify plants as long as there's a flora, a book that describes the plants. In fact, Nicaragua, another place you mentioned, Nicaragua has its own flora for the whole country and it's free and online. So I don't speak Spanish, but you know it's a technical book and so I can see it. So I guess one of the things I'm saying is somebody, since I gather a lot of my own medicines and I'm just interested in knowing all the plants around me, uh, learning, how to, uh, learning how to identify plants in a technical way, in other words, understanding how to count stamens, look at the various kinds of hairs, um, all those technical characteristics allow one to travel and to identify plants wherever they go. And often it's not utilitarian at all. I just like to know all the plants around me. So when I spent time in Costa Rica, uh, I just tried to identify them. So that'd be so that, you know, one part of the program is very botanical oriented, uh, learning how to identify plants, uh, learning how to wildcraft plants and trying to do less harm to gather them for medicine, how to gather plants um, and how to prepare them as medicine. And then uh, the really the hardest part is in a sense is how to use them as medicine because there's just so many avenues to explore and so much research that's not done well on them. Um, but that's a big part of it is, you know, everything from identifying plants to using plants as medicine. The other side of the program is very clinical focused. Um, I'm a founder and a clinical herbalist at the Ithaca Free Clinic. Uh, so this is going a little off, but I'll come back to the school. Um, so having been working with pretty unhealthy people now for the past 15 years, uh, I just I, get, I feel like I have a much better insight into how well plants work, where they work better, where other forms of therapies, where the medicines work well. So that comes a big part of the school. So it's a very clinical focused. And, you know, there's no, like all of us get sick. We all have these physical bodies and these things will break down. It's just material, you know, this material stuff will break down. And it's also just very tricky. And so I'm saying all of this is when I talk about being practicing clinically or teaching clinical herbalism, it's really very similar to how other people use the word holistic. And by that, I mean, you have to take everything into account. For instance, if somebody has no safety net, since I work in a free clinic, a lot of people don't have a safety net um, or are marginalized, disenfranchised. You know, it doesn't matter what you give them, the sustenance that keeps people going, support groups and food and shelter uh, come into play. So I think for me being, being practiced clinically is like, yes, I give people herbal medicines, but is, are there other ways that I can be supportive? Is there ways that I can direct them towards counseling or massage therapy? Um, or conventional medications. So the school, I would say, is very is very focused both ways, very plant-focused, very human-focused, and just talking about plants in a realistic way, covering a lot of physiology and a lot of pathophysiology, understanding how the body works. To put this a little bit differently, I often think of myself as the least spiritual herbalist that I've met. So I'm open for a challenge. I'm hoping someday there's a contest, least spirits. I'm not sure who will reside or how it gets judged. But really what I mean by that is that my focus is very based on molecules, not so much as science has the answer. Science has just a few answers, maybe. Um, but it, it's my lens into the world. And so when I'm working with people, I really think pathophysiologically, like what 
what's going wrong in their body. Now, not all things could be defined that way. Of course, a lot of people have mental health issues and you're not going to say, oh, it's just dopamine or it's just GABA. I mean, it doesn't work that way. We don't just have one neurotransmitter reflecting our whole personality. So I, part of what I'm saying is um, I do think pathophysiologically, but also a lot of things are not well described. And so many illnesses that people, as you probably know, many people who come to see herbalists um, it's because they have undiagnosed health issues. They have chronic fatigue or muscle pain or anxiety, and none of it none of it fits into any neat descriptions. And so it's harder to be treated by conventional medicine. One more point that I'll let go, and this is kind of a bigger picture of me, I think, as well as just describing the school, is that I'm awestruck by modern medicine. I think that conventional medicine, conventional drugs, pharmaceuticals uh, play very important and very important a very important role in uh, people's lives and are often very necessary. Many of my patients would be much iller, if not dead, without the medications that they're taking. So one th the one thing I'm not as an herbalist is I'm not like herbs are your choice. Herbs are a choice. And for many people, it's a choice that's also made in correlation with modern medicines, or I can just call them pharmaceuticals. Um, and so I work with doctors on a regular basis and I, I find that very satisfying. I find it very satisfying to have multiple avenues to try to work with somebody. So all this comes into the program when I'm uh, working, when I'm training students or teaching students um, how to use herbal medicine in their lives for their friends and family, and hopefully also for the communities around us. So how does the Ithaca Free Clinic work? Is it, as the name says, is it, are all the treatments free? Uh, so the Ithaca Free Clinic, which we started, about 18 of us started. I, I'm the last person standing. I, I have to say really clearly, because often people think it's my clinic. It's absolutely not my clinic. If I stopped working there, they would lose like an herbalist, but the clinic would still be functional. So first it's integrative. And so the clinic has medical doctors. It depends on what day you go there. We're not open all the time. We have medical doctors, nurse practitioners, massage therapists, sometimes chiropractors. Uh, I'm at Mo, uh, currently I'm the only herbalist, but often there are two. And so we have we have a we have different modalities represented uh, for people, and it's it's the individual's choice um, who they want to see. A lot of people see me because after they see a doctor and get a diagnosis, the person at discharge desk might say to them, uh, "Did you know that we have herbal medicine?" And sometimes people will want to try that, so then we'll have that there. Um, it's free. It's entirely free. We don't have the, the we don't have labs on, we don't have labs uh, at the clinic. And so if we need to send out for labs, people have to pay for them. Uh, sometimes we can get discounts. Uh, you know, we're limited to how many medical professionals we have. So if somebody has to see a neurologist, maybe we can get a discount. So it's not, these are not the things I do. This is what the clinic coordinator does. Um, but also uh, for the, since I've been there uh, since uh, 2006, I, we, I've been giving out free herbal medicine uh, the whole time. So basically you, you can't see it. Well, you can't see it because it's audio, uh, but behind me, there's just hundreds of bottles of tinctures and different medicines uh, to provide people at the clinic uh, for them as they come in and for, you know, and for refills. Um, and I guess the goal for me is just to make herbal medicine really accessible, right? How does that happen for people who don't have much money? And the way to do that is to make it free. Um, so all the, 
there's no charge for any of the modalities, whether you see a chiropractor or a doctor or an acupuncturist, um, but most of them don't have medicines so that, you know, the person still has to get their own prescription. We can write a prescription, they can write a prescription, I cannot, um, but they do get free herbal medicines. So you're making it affordable for those who can't typically afford it, but how are you and the other practitioners being compensated? And as you just said, for you, you're actually, you're actually giving out herbal medicine. So is there any sort of compensation financially for that or in trades, or is it just all free? It's all free. Um, the other, the other medical professionals and healthcare workers, um, they, they don't give out anything, but their time. So we have four paid staff. None of the paid staff are medical people or healthcare providers. Uh, you know, we have a director, an outreach coordinator, a clinic coordinator, those kinds of positions. Um, so whether you're a doctor or a massage therapist or an herbalist, uh, it's all volunteer. And the way that I afford it is that I run an herb school. And so basically my herb school provides enough funds. I don't have that much needs. I mean, I have, I mean, I have basic needs, but um, there's enough money for me to provide herbal medicine uh, for the free clinic. If anybody's listening to this and wants to donate, uh, they're very welcome to. Uh, there's supplies they can give and there's finances, but uh, basically, basically, I wanna know, this is gonna sound, I don't know what this is gonna sound like. I wanna know how well herbal medicine works. Like I wanna see it in real bodies in real time. And so in order to do that, you have to see people. And so one of my goals is just trying to really, as someone who's deeply, uh, embedded in herbal medicine for a very long time now, uh, you know, what, where, does, where does herbal medicine really shine? Where is it better to work with other practitioners? Where is herbal medicine maybe not as prolific of medicine? And so, you know, a part of it is treating people and, uh, and helping people when, when the, herbal, the herbal medicines work. Another part of it for me is learning how to use herbal medicines better. And then of course, training and working with other people uh, so that we can bring herbal medicine into the current era. That sounds incredible and such an important thing for your community. Uh, for you, beyond what you just said about you want to see how the herbs work and you want that experience and to be able to see it time and time again, what is what keeps you going outside of that? What keeps you volunteering your time to see to to help these people? I'm not sure. There, when you say outside of that, it's inside of that that does it. Okay. You know. Uh, herbal medicine, of course, doesn't always work, right? I mean, you must, you have a human body, you probably have had problems, or maybe people you know have had problems where you give herbs and uh, it just doesn't work, or uh, maybe something works, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a different modality. So what keeps me going is my interest in, in understanding herbal medicine and in helping people around me. And, you know, now we do telehealth as well. So ever since the pandemic started, so I see people from much further away, uh, we use the Doxy platform for that. But I think, I, I guess I feel like as a person, it's one of my jobs as a human is to help other people. And so the free clinic is one of the best avenues to do that. I, I should say really clearly, I feel extremely fortunate that the free clinic is in the town that I live in. There's very few free clinics in the US or Canada. Uh, that offer mixed modality medicine for free. And, you know, so this started in the, in around 2004, when we started meeting 2005. 
And I feel extremely fortunate that I was in a town where this was happening, that I could jump in because there are so many skills necessary that I don't have. I have no idea how to, you know, schedule all these people or to get a building or to raise the money to do this. I all those are my skill is as a clinical herbalist, maybe a wildcrafter, and some staff stuff. So I just I feel extremely fortunate to coincidentally have lived in a town where this happened and that keeps me here i mean i, I live here anyway i like being i like ithaca new york yeah how did you get into herbal medicine you know that's always a tricky question right because how do we get into anything like what what sparks our interest is it just innate have i always loved reptiles and amphibians the answer is yes i've always loved reptiles and amphibians I've always been kind of a sciencey kid, you know, growing up, I grew up in Long Island, New York, very suburban. And um, I've, you know, I've always had like interest mostly in herpetology, the study of reptiles and amphibians, like finding them, identifying them. I love categorizing, you know, I like to know, you know, the same in healthcare, it's same with animals, you know, what is an animal, what kind of dragonfly is that? Um, and so plants were not a focus of mine growing up. Um, and then in my mid twenties, I went to the California School of Herbal Studies. Uh, that was sort of like 1994, I think. Um, and actually, before that, I went to the Botanic Academy of Herbal Studies in Santa Cruz, California. These are all on the West Coast, you know. I'm, I live, I'm from the East. And I, you know, I guess they brought two interests of mine together. One is like a a science mind like I like being in nature and I like understanding nature I like categorizing nature but I also just like being within nature and then also a desire to help and so herbal medicine is a melding of those two things there's um you know there's gathering plants and spending time with plants um understanding plants categorizing plants and then there's like I can also help people with this so and I don't you know I'm not somebody who makes animal medicines like I I I, would, I don't think I could ever do Eye of Newt or any kind of seahorse medicines. I, I feel much more comfortable to skip, you know, basically pulling up and making medicines out of plants. So how did this unfold in your life? So you went to California, you studied at a couple institutions, and did you do that with the intention of being an herbalist? Or was it just something that you were continuing your pursuit of interest in botany and science and, and natural life? Um, first, I, I would go with the word school rather. In, the word institute, institution, makes the schoolings I've gone to much seem much grander and okay. more like we'd have dorms and a terrible cafeteria to eat at or something <laughs> like that. Um, the schools. And I know one of them had, a, had uh, a very cool bus that Rosemary talked about. I can't remember the name of the uh, bus. That... Yeah, I've been on that bus. Well, yeah, of course I've been on that bus. I used to. That sounds I mean, amazing. Because I went to the California School of Verbal Studies in. Uh, in 90, I went to, I think it was 94 that I went there, but I've been a teacher at the California School of Herbal Studies for the past 20 years. Um, though there hasn't been a bus in a very long time. And of course, right now it's all online. Um, but yeah, those bus rides were interesting. I, I, I don't love being in a, in a vehicle with lots of people for long periods of time because, you know, always things happen. Um, but I, I'm very glad for my experiences uh, with that. Um, what was the question? <laughs> How herbalism oh, kind of shaped your life and how it unfolded in your life after these studies? You know, I don't, as a, as somebody in my mid twenties, I wasn't very focused on 
you know, what am I going to do and how am I going to make money? I was very vagabondy, you know, and herbal medicine, I mean, in the mid nineties, herbal medicine was definitely a fringe form of medicine. I mean, for me and the groups I'm with, I mean, for a lot of indigenous groups and a lot of other cultural and intact groups, herbal medicine has never faltered, but from where I'm from, definitely not much, you know, uh, involved there. And so I went to the school and it just stayed with me. I just continued my interest in it. I continued my interest in, in learning how to identify plants. I started using it maybe a little haphazardly, which I think is kind of common for people just learning a healthcare skill. Hopefully it wasn't too terrible. Um, and I just stayed with it. And I think the thing that surprises me and definitely surprises my family uh, is that I made a livelihood from it. I mean, from this thing that just, you know, I'm sure my parents, when I started going to herb school, I mean, they were very caring, my parents, but also, you know, they're from an era with had, they're both from families without much money. And like, they're like, oh no, you know, here he goes, like learning nothing. Cause I, you know, I didn't go, I mean, I'm a high school dropout and didn't, I just didn't do very well in any academic sense. And so I just stayed with it. And then herbal medicine, as it became more popular, I guess I rode that tide somehow uh, with it. I started teaching, you know, as I said, uh, quite a long time ago. And uh, I, I keep making a mistake. I didn't go, I went to the California school in 1983, not 1993. So I went to the California school of herbal studies in 1983. I went to Michael Moore school in Albuquerque, New Mexico in 1994. So okay. just to give my age, <laughs> give you another here. decade of experience. Yeah, it's true. Well, a lot of the time between 1983 and 1994, I did a lot of other things. I did a lot of traveling, a lot of hitchhiking. So it definitely was not a focus all the time of herbal medicines. Since 1994, though, very darn focused. Um, so I guess I just did different things. I made money various ways. I lived very inexpensively. I lived in a place without electricity and really any amenities. And so while I was able to not work so much, I did study in those days, we used things called books, and I would use these books. Um, I think <laughs> I have an example somewhere here um, to, to gain knowledge and also work with some people and continually building up my apothecary. So it wasn't, I think, to answer your question, it wasn't like, I'm going to do this as a livelihood. I just kept studying it and then started teaching it, and then it became a livelihood. Was there anything else that came into the picture potentially along the way or... Sounds like maybe I, this was mostly mostly the focus. I think mostly the focus. I mean, I've always had, you know, as I've said, I have an interest in nature in general. If I'm out walking and I see insect or an animal, I pretty much always want to know what it is, and we'll try to figure it out. Not all insects. There's so many insects, uh, but some of them. Um, but other things happen. I started doing first aid events uh, at a place called the Rainbow Gathering, where I still do it. And so since uh, 1980 something. I've been a main, one of the main healthcare practitioners, if you can call it that, at this large free event called the Rainbow Gathering. And so I started developing a really strong interest in herbal medicine and first aid. In fact, in Costa Rica, um, I would go to the Envision Festival for a few years in a row. And we set up next to the medical station, we would set up a herbal first aid station. And once they realized that we were not bonkers, we started working together. Um, so I think that also maintained an interest. I just seeing, because the thing about first aid is it's very immediate, right? When you work with someone with Lyme disease, like three months later, they feel good. And you're like, maybe it's the herb. But when somebody has a really awful headache and the herbs work, it's fairly immediate. And for somebody who's very skeptical, such as myself, 
Um, skepticism does much better when you have an immediate response and over and over again with certain things. So along the way, first aid became very important for me. Uh, and then when I started working at the clinic, I started getting much better at chronic health care because I see patients for, you know, months, weeks, or years at a time. Hang on just one second. I realize I left my uh, beverage in my office, so I'm just going to go grab that. I'll be right back. So while Todd's away, let me tell you some secrets about Todd. I met Todd while I was hitchhiking in Antarctica in 1954, and both of us found the elixir of youth when we were there. And so we've been drinking the elixir of youth ever since then. And Todd is actually hundreds of years old. You just can't really tell. Okay, can you hear me? I can. So I'm fascinated by this, by the various applications for any of the natural medicines and for herbal medicine. I think a lot of people probably don't think of first aid as being maybe something that that herbal medicine would be really strong at. Can you give some some examples of some of the situations where herbal medicine has just done amazing things in an acute situation? Sure. You know, it's funny though. Uh, this is often a response when I say like an herbal first aid, a first aid herbalist, is you can imagine throughout history, the only thing that's obvious to people as we develop our intellects the way we have coming from, you know, whatever animals we were, fish or, you know, primates, you can imagine that the earliest herbs that we use were always plants for first aid. First aid is, you know, if you're a fish, you got your tail nipped. If you are uh, a salamander, you you sprain your little paw. Uh, and the primate, I don't know what, you know, you fell out of a tree. What I'm saying is, and then we became more and more this shape. But through all of that, we were experimenting with plants for what's most obvious, because I don't really know if, if our early primates got cancer or not, but if they did, they, you know, probably trying to figure that out would have been beyond our skill level at that point. Uh, but what we would know is you have a cut or you have a bruise. And so, you know, we'd be starting to experiment by chewing plants up and putting them on our body. So we have, you know, an extremely long history of herbal medicine as first aid. It's the oldest history, it's my, would be my guess. Um, so, you know, not all herbs help all situations all the time, but a few things work very well. For instance, so this is not always a first aid event. Well, it is a first aid event and that's for panic attacks. So there's a plant called anemone. And I would just say it's one of the most useful plants I've ever seen. So, but when I say there's only a few plants that make a quick switch in people's health. In other words, something's going wrong and you take it and pretty much you can have pretty, fairly strong reactions, positive ones right away. So for panic attacks, anemone is definitely one of them. Uh, it's a plant that grows in parts of the U.S. Um, I think in parts of Canada, it's called spring crocus, though it's not a, it's not a, it's not really a crocus. It's a buttercup family. So that would be one. Another plant that has pretty strong uh, reactions would be lobelia inflata, and lobelia is a bronchodilator. So uh, lobelia is just really good for asthma. If if an if a, if an inhaler, if an emergency inhaler like albuterol is what you might use. If it, it won't act like a steroid, it doesn't have any steroidal actions. But if you're just looking for bronchodilation, you have anemone, excuse me, you have lobelia uh, for that. Uh, and then you have herbs that sometimes work pretty well. So you have herbs like feverfew, which do help some headaches pretty well. 
for people who have bacterial gut infections, uh, we use a lot of activated charcoal. So it's not really an herb per se, because it's a processed plant as well. It's, a, it's an herb in a sense, it's processed uh, herb. So there's just a lot of things. So all of the plants that start with the genus Berberis, so your, your Oregon grape roots, your golden threads, your around here, Japanese barberry, we use those for infections very regularly, both viral and bacterial infections. So there's a lot of herbs we use. There's not that many herbs that give a super dramatic effect. Really, anemone and lobelia are two of the ones that work the best. Valerian, for people having difficulty sleeping, can be very helpful. Um, so, so it's just a few herbs that you have very clear reactions in a very short amount of time that you can see it unfold the positive benefits of the plant unfolding in front of you. And then a lot of other plants just take a little more time, but you can also see their benefits. Again, like activated charcoal for diarrheal infections due to bacteria is one of them, but just a lot of pain herbs, you know, because in first aid pain, well, just anywhere, pain is one of the major reasons people come to see us. And so you have things like kava kava, hops, valerian, skull cap, Jamaican dogwood. You just have, and then if you have more spastic cramping, kind of like uterine cramping or digestive cramping, you have things like catnip and silk tassel. So there's, there's a lot of herbs that really fit into a first aid um, paradigm. Have there been any situations facing an acute crisis where you have been just over amazed, overwhelmed with the power of herbal medicine? Or are you just, you're so experienced with it that you're, you know, the results are going to be there. No, I'm often surprised when things work, anything works. I mean, I'm not just okay. herbal medicine. Um, I would have to say the the thing that you get the quickest relief from is again, lobelia and flata, because somebody will coming in and they just not, they're really not breathing well. They forgot their medications and you give them have a dropper full. There's a few other stronger ones that I'd rather not discuss because I'm not sure people who don't have experience should use them. Uh, the herbs I'm mentioning now are just re relatively safe. Um, though both those herbs, by the way, I think are restricted in uh, Canada, but not in the States. Lobelia and anemone. Oh, really? I mm. think so. <laughs> Outside of the school and the herbal first aid and the clinic, I read that you're also very uh, interested in photography when it comes to the plant world. I, I mean, I just love to, I like taking, that's new for me, maybe 15, 10 years. Um, you know, I keep, I started, you know, like, I don't know, some just small leak, small camera, you know, that was okay. And, you know, now I, I, <laughs> I have enough money and I have enough interest, you know, that I have a much better uh, Canon camera and, you know, and really it's always about the lenses as well. I guess I just, I, it's fun to take photos. It gets me outside a little bit more. Um, I, and, and they're great for teaching, you know, and it's also, you know, like taking pictures of all my students and labeling them. So it's, you know, taking photos is only one aspect of photography. Labeling your photographs is the, really the time consuming aspect of it. So there's not only taking photos, but then there's spending. Well, I think like one sixth of my life is spent like organizing the photos, putting a name to them where I took them, you know, keywording them so that if I need them, I can find them again because I do like to use them for school and also just for pleasure, also to make uh, birthday cards for people so I can find one with a nice rainbow in Costa Rica and send that to people. Um, yeah.
so it's 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 not a professional thing i guess it's a strong amateur uh but i do i take i have i have thousands and thousands of pictures of medicinal plants uh, often in their native habitat mm-hmm. and i was uh, mentioned native hab- habitat and i presume living in ithaca and places where you've traveled you've been surrounded by these plants do you do any wild crafting or do you grow your own plants? How do you typically source your materials? A few different ways. So I definitely wildcraft. Um, a lot of times though in my travels, I don't wildcraft because you can't really gather a plant ethically unless you know the bioregion well enough to know if that's supportable. So there are places in the United States that I go to on a regular basis that I feel comfortable wildcrafting because I can go back to the same place and after wildcrafting once and say, did was this a sustainable harvest or does it look like the plants are coming back slowly and I should avoid this area? Um, I like wildcrafting. I don't, I definitely in my sixties now, I do less of it. I just also have less time to do it, but I still gather, we just gathered some ginkgo from a tree right over here, uh, right? I'd be, I'm facing it. You can't see that. Um, I'm not really sure that's wildcrafting. I do garden uh, some. And this year I grew enough go to cola to make two gallons of tincture. The problem is having worked at the free clinic and right now we're seeing more and more patients there. I only work four hours a week at the free clinic. At the most I work is eight hours a week, but for half the year, I only work four hours a week. So I don't wanna, I wanna make very clear that I'm not always there, far from it. Um, But still, you know, we see somebody once and then we give them refills. And so it's been harder to get enough of the herbs that I use regularly. Uh, fortunately, there have been people give me donations. Mountain Rose Herbs in particular has been very generous every year, uh, giving me donations so I could uh, keep the free clinic going. They used to send me the herbs and I buy the alcohol and make the medicines. Um, but it's a lot of work. And then just shaking up the bottles every day. I have a lot of them right now. Um, but I, I have a whole apothecary. One thing about herbal medicine. I, so if you are thinking about getting into herbal medicine right now and you're listening to this, one thing that you need is space in your home, right? Because they just, herbs take up a lot of space, whether you have half gallon jars or gallon jars or bags of herbs, it's just, it's a very, it's, you know, sometimes I, I'm jealous of other disciplines or drugs where basically you have a cabinet and have like enough for lots of people. Herbal medicine, it just, you just need a lot of room to just store it all in and dry it in and process it. It's also part of the beauty though. Yeah, it is. It's kind of, there's nothing as, for me, as kind of magical as walking into a, a well-looked after, after herbal dispensary and the yeah, smell of it and the sight of it. And it's, yeah, there's something very profound about that and very healing just by nature of being in that type of space. Do you see patients outside of the free clinic? I see some, like we had a student clinic in the school, um, but really I try to channel everybody to the clinic. You know, I have friends that get sick. You know, so I studied herbal medicine to be helpful, right? As opposed to make a livelihood. And so I feel extremely fortunate that I'm making a livelihood as a teacher. Um, So like last night, I saw an old friend, like a really, somebody I knew from when I went to Michael Moore's. So that's 1994 and his partner is sick. And um, uh, we did a call. And so you know, I, I don't send people medicine, so I don't want to be that part, but you know, right over here, you, you can see a top at other people. I just took notes and discussed their health care with them and made suggestions. So I do it. I try not to do it that often, uh, just because it takes a lot of time. And then, you know, and cataloging and writing notes 
you know, like I didn't for these folks because one of them is an herbalist, but there's just a lot, you know, there's time spent talking to the person, then there's time spent recording your notes and observations. So if you work with them again, um, but I do, uh, but I really like, I, I rather see people in the clinic, whether it's telehealth or in person. And what's it like for the school? Do students come to Ithaca and study with you? And uh, so or is there, are there online studies? So there are, so that's just about to change next year. Uh, for most of the years of running the school, it's always been in person. Next year, um, I'm going to have the full-time program in person, meaning people will move to Ithaca uh, from all over from right now from LA. And I just know somebody from LA coming here. Um, and then they'll be here for at least six months. For the first time, I'm going to do the online program. Excuse me, I'm going to do my weekend program online. I'm frankly pretty mixed about it. But as I said, I'm in my mid 60s. I'm 63. And so I'm starting to think of the long term. And so I want to learn how to teach better online, because at one point, I'm going to have less energy to devote to being an in person teacher, they'll always probably do some. So next year will be the full time program in person. And then the part time as the weekend program will be online. The year after that, which is my 65th year, I'm just going to do it on everything smushed together online so I can travel and see places that I haven't seen. I really want to go to the Black Hills of the Dakotas um, and a few other places where I never got to travel to. And, you know, in other words, I see, you know, I just I mean, I'm at an age where I know what's happening and watching other people's bodies. And I want to enjoy some of it as, as long as my health maintains itself. Right. Yeah. Well, and it seems to in this day and age, especially that people are looking more for the online access. It's, it's really, it's really different though. I agree with you too. It's not something that I very easily adjust into. And even doing podcasting, when I first started out, I, I just committed to only doing it in person. And then it was like, wow, I'm really limiting the number of people I can right. talk to. Actually, I'm really glad that we're, so people who are listening can't know it, but we can see each other. And actually it's much better if I just have to look at myself while, or not look at anything, it is helpful to get feedback from a face. But from an in-person face is very different than an online face. It is, yeah, it is. So with the plants that you work with, do you have any standouts, any that you return to again and again and again? I, I kind of met, uh, there's a lot of them, and then I'm always adding new ones. I mean, I think like a tried and true herb for so many health conditions that have to do with the the belly and uh, and anxiety is chamomile. I mean, I'm just going to say one that's really common. These days, I'm using a lot of ceanothus or red root, not blood root, but red root, ceanothus americanus, uh, for more infectious stuff, especially infections that maintain long, uh, where you see swollen lymph nodes beyond the time that you would expect. You know, maybe even the lymph nodes themselves at this point are infected rather than just doing their job and swelling. Um, I use a lot of Berberus species. Uh, so I would, you know, I'm constantly using uh, Japanese barberry and Oregon grape. Those two are the main. I use a lot of yarrow for infections. I use a lot of myrrh for also for infections, both internally and externally. Uh, what else do I use? I use a lot of anti-inflammatories because so many chronic healthcare problems have inflammation as a backdrop. So lots of, uh, lots of black birch, lots of willow, lots of licorice. Um, those are some, and then, uh, well, then there's the whole mental health list, right? And so then you have everything from Damiana, wild oats, Tulsi, 
Rose, Blue Vervain, Kava Kava. There's just a lot of things because anxiety is very prevalent uh, currently. I think it's always been prevalent, but certainly people are willing to talk about it now. So, And well, some of these herbs that are known as being an excellent for, let, let's say, treating anxiety, have you ever noticed that an herb that grows more locally to where you're treating has different effects than an herb that maybe you're sourcing from India? No, I don't see that at all. I, okay. I, don't, I don't have, um, I don't have a, what's the word? A macro view. Maybe it is macro. Um, no, I, you know, I'd rather, I like to, I like to gather my own plants wherever they grow because I get satisfaction from that. Uh, but I, I don't feel like local herbs help local people. Also, I mean, like I'm a Russian Jew, right? So, I mean, what herbs would, what herbs fit Russian Jewish physiology that's lived in the United States for, for this, I'm now my second generation of Russian Jews. And so, but even without that, you know, I work with different communities of people and I just think whatever herbs work, uh, whatever herbs you have available, of course. Right. And so for you with your mid sixties approaching where you want to take more time to travel, are those travels going to, in your vision, be somewhat plant related or are you just exploring <laughs> to explore? Uh, well, it will always becomes plant related, right? I mean, if so, some of them are very plant related, like, so the Black Hills of the Dakotas have a lot of endemics, meaning the plants that grow there that don't grow anywhere else. Again, none of this is wild crafting. This is just observation. So there are places, but you know, what'll happen is like, I'm going to be teaching in LA also in 2023. And, you know, so LA itself, well, LA is a lot of interesting plants, right? Because it's whatever that, you know, deserty, watery climate that is just really warm. But then, you know, if I'm visiting friends there, I'm certainly going to get out into the mountains around there and look at plants. So I guess it's not so much, I don't really think what has interesting plants is more like, where am I interested? And then I'll start finding floras or technical plant books for that area. Uh, and so I think that's more how it works for me. So with everything that's out there in the plant world and the herbal world, what do you suggest? Where do you suggest people start or what they look for in studying herbal medicine? So one of the, there's a few things that I think are really important for people learning to study herbal medicine. Uh, one of them is learning the limitations of plants as far as a form of medicine. So I think that it's really important to understand other modalities and where they're they're most helpful. For instance, for a lot of people with very tight muscles, often massage therapy can be very beneficial with, within a skilled, safe environment. Uh, there are many times in knowing that the person might need pharmaceuticals and where the limit of herbal medicine is and where the point of maybe the pharmaceuticals. And so that gets more difficult because you have to be working with doctors. But again, just understanding that there are many forms of modalities out there and herbal medicine is just one. The other way to say that is herbalists are just another form of healthcare practitioner. And so we should understand like what a lot of other healthcare practitioners under, uh, practice or hopefully practice. So that means knowing other forms of modalities. Uh, the other thing is really important is having good counseling skills. Uh, I would say, uh, you know, I just, I'm making a number up, but I would say half of a consultation, half of people getting better, like a part of it is the process of the talking to them um, during the consultation, like making sure the person feels safe and welcome and heard brings a lot of relief to people because it's something, you know, so as I've said, I am, I think that modern medicine offers a lot, 
One thing that doesn't, modernist medicine doesn't offer very well is personalization of the experience. And modern medicine, this is not, this is not true with everybody, is often depersonalized. And so I think if we have good counseling skills as herbalists and help people feel heard, there's a whole sense of relief, like, oh, finally somebody is listening to me and then also offering them herbal medicines. But the whole plethora of different counseling skills, I think is just really important to practice as an herbalist. I think that understanding how the human body works is very important. I think when somebody comes in, they say they have a healthcare problem and understanding what the underlying problem associated with that, what the pathophysiology is of the physiology. So knowing how the body works in best of times and knowing when things go wrong, what the disease is doing uh, into their body. So I know many people practice an energetic form of herbal medicine or just an energetic form of medicine. Uh, for me, it, I don't practice an energetic form of medicine. I practice a pathophysiological or a physical form of medicine. And so I find it brings my patients a lot of relief if I understand what their diagnosis is and often why they were prescribed certain pharmaceuticals. So part of all of this, this rant of mine here is I just really think that herbalists can be a really good bridge between modern medicine or whatever we wanna call conventional medicine and herbal medicine. And people also feel more hood, heard if you understand the background to them. So to put that, so there's the obvious things that is helpful to know. It's helpful to know um, how plants work, which plants work where, but also limitations, counseling skills, being a bridge with the modern medical world, um, learning good counseling skills, I really, I really think that, you know, it's basically we as people, what we have to offer, what I have to offer a seven song to people. And then a big part of that is the herbal training that I have and the skills I have there, but trying to broaden those skills out and understanding what other things offer so I can make positive recommendations. And with that, I just think it's really important to understand people's safety and confidence, like those things, keeping things confidential, um, if there's other ways to work on helping somebody be a little safer in their life, whatever that means, housing or food. So I think that we have, a, I think we have a very positive role to play uh, in helping people when we can. Well said, and it brings to me, brings to mind the interpersonal journey that herbal medicine often is, especially for humans. It may not be the same case for animals who seem to right. self-medicate by uh, grazing for the plants that are going to fix their upset stomach. But humans, it's very often been in a, a ceremony or in a group sort of session, whether that's plant medicine ceremonies with shamans or uh, getting treatment in the Ithaca free clinic. There's always, there seems to always be a, a community around healing and herbal medicine. And so I really resonate, especially with when you're talking about the counseling skills, because building patient rapport is so important because right. the the patient also needs to feel heard and have some it helps if they have some confidence that the plants are actually going to help them rather than going into thinking this is a waste of time and i don't like this guy and i don't like what he's giving me but i'm going to just take it anyway and so there's there's so much to be so much extra benefit that can be given to your patients by being able to connect with them and although you may not be practicing energetic herbalism by connecting with your patients, I would argue that you are practicing energetic medicine. I would argue back. <laughs> <laughs> the least spiritual herbalist. <laughs> so 
And why is that? Why do you, so would you say you don't think there's an energetic exchange? Well, you know, you can, the word energetic is as, as plastic, as malleable as you want it to be. Right. I mean, so I, I, uh, it's a, it's a big topic. I guess I just like, I hear other people use the word in an avenue that I don't use it. Right. So like hot or cold or, and so, you know, do I think that personal interaction matters? Absolutely. I think it matters. I mean, that's one of the, I mean, that's having a school that's online and having a school that's in person talk about interpersonal differences, you know, having when people and students meet each other, there's just so much rapport built up. Um, but I, anyway, it's just my, it's just me. I'm just, a, I just avoid this word energetic. Uh, it's also very cliche and yeah, it's probably arguably quite overused and not very well understood. <laughs> But I do think there is certainly benefit to be had by both uh, parties in any sort of healthy communication and interaction. I agree. Yeah, communication. Yeah. So where can people and potential students learn more about your school? And where can people learn more about maybe getting treatment from you? So the school is pretty easy. So my name is Seven Song, number seven, S-O-N-G. And... If you type that in, Seven Song, the school comes right up. It's the Northeast School of Botanical Medicine. Um, so if you like cynical, sarcastic, uh, herbal medicine, um, <laughs> the place. but very practical and clinical, uh, this might be a good school for you. No, when you say um, cynical, everybody. when you say What's cynical, that? what do you mean by that? Uh, I, I Is mean, that the skeptic I, in you? Yeah, maybe skeptic okay. is no, it's cynical. I mean, so nobody here has heard it, but you know, when Todd first said, like, what's like, what's one of the first questions uh, I should ask? I said, is why do human beings not make this planet a better place rather than often a worse place with more pollution and all that? So there's the cynicism, like how people treat each other um, in in the political realm. Um, and so, and you know, why we continue to elect people. So I don't need to go into this, but that would be, that's what my cynic, my cynicism doesn't really carry too far onto nature. Okay. So just human nature. Right. Human nature. Yes. <laughs> um, so it's pretty easy to find me at the Northeast School of Botanical Medicine. Um, if you're interested in the program, send me an email. There's an application online. Uh, then we'll have either a Zoom or a phone call and discuss to make sure the program's a good fit for people. Um, and then the Ithaca free clinic, we do telehealth at this point. Um, so you would get in touch with the Ithaca free clinic. So just type in, just go online, type in Ithaca free clinic, the website will show up. And then there's a place to contact it. If you're interested in working, I want to be very, very clear though. We do not send medicines to anybody, even if they want to pay for me to ship them to them. So the one thing, the line drawn there is in order to have any free time, we just don't. So if you come to the clinic we do give you free medicine for as long as you live here. Um, but we don't send medicines ever. It's just too much. It's too complex and very expensive. So uh, those are two places. Right. Great. Well, thank you. And they sound like two amazing opportunities and I'm very happy to hear that they exist and that they've been thriving for so long. It's a testament to how important it is to have access to affordable healthcare, plant-based healthcare, natural healthcare, and also access to the education. And and have a great time in Costa Rica. 
um, Todd, the, I am jealous of only really one thing about you living there, and that is reptiles, right? Especially right, it's, so it's snowing where I live right now. But even when it's not snowing, I love going to Costa Rica because you have all the amphibians and reptiles, and it's just it's beautiful there, and even more beautiful with all the critters out there. So enjoy enjoy your time there. Hope it works Ye out well. Yesterday, I was having breakfast at a restaurant, and I overheard a woman getting very vocal and I turned and she was seated alone and I just turned back to my the party I was with and after a few more minutes she got even more vocal and I turned and looked again and there was an iguana on her plate <laughs> taking her food All right. <laughs> and she didn't know what to do and she was yelling at the iguana and oh, really it was like tearing into her eggs and strawberries it was it was really cool. oh wow so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. quite a unique thing i think you just have to pick them up and move them i mean they're, big. <laughs> they're vegetarians they don't they don't eat humans <laughs> all right all right todd i hope it works out for you in Central america great and thank you so much for this experience it's been great getting to know you yeah you too okay all have right. a great day Thanks for listening to this episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with Seven Song. To learn more about Seven Song, the Northeast School of Herbal Medicine, and the Ithaca Free Clinic, visit sevensong.com. That's the number seven, S-O-N-G.com. If you are interested in studying Western Herbal Medicine, the School of Western Herbal Medicine at Pacific Rim College offers world-renowned programs, including world's only study options combining Western Herbal Medicine with acupuncture and holistic nutrition. Visit PacificRimCollege.com to learn more. Also, don't forget to check out our online education in herbal medicine by exploring the amazing course offerings at PacificRimCollege.online, including many courses featuring other guests of this podcast. Sign up for our newsletter to receive special offers on our newest releases. If you are interested in receiving clinical services in holistic nutrition, herbal medicine, and acupuncture in Chinese medicine, the Student Clinic at PRC provides more than 7,000 annual treatments. Live holistic nutrition and herbal medicine consultations are both available online, while acupuncture and Chinese medicine treatments can be had at our Victoria campus. Free treatment options are available in all areas. Visit the Student Clinic at PacificRimCollege.com for more information and to book your appointment. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with your friends and family and give it a five-star rating on whatever podcast app you're using. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, consider what herbal remedies you might want to add to your first aid kit.